episode 381 of Retro Encounter RPG Fans, currently bi-weekly podcast of many topics. Uh, my name is Zach Wilkerson, and I will be your host today. And we are here to talk about the second half of Disco Elysium, insofar as there is a second half. I learned that you can basically beat this game without even doing basically the first thing you're supposed to do today. <laughs> so our conversation will probably uh, jump all over the place, but... Uh, this game, uh, you can experience it in so many different ways. Uh, so before we uh, dig into talking about the game, I want to go ahead and introduce our panel, starting with you, Alex. Hi, I'm a superstar communist cop, Alex. <laughs> and Hillary. Uh, I am communist art cop, Hillary. <laughs> and Ben. Yeah, and I'm uh, a, a communist sorry cop. <laughs> and I'm a communist superstar cop as well. Although, uh, <laughs> towards the end, uh, Kim gives an evaluation of who you are as a cop. And he said, he's deeply communistic, but he also shows signs of incredible fascism. I don't know how those two things work together, <laughs> but that's who he is. And I was like, yeah, that sounds about right for my my version of Harry. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, you know, uh, last episode we mostly talked about the first day <laughs> um and i think uh and please correct me if i'm wrong on this but uh you can uh play this game for up to 10 days i'm not sure what what would happen at the end of 10 days uh but it was my impression sort of reading around online uh that you have 10 days to beat the game but i think i beat it in nine uh, only because i dragged some things out um because i thought that i would get pressed onto the end game and i was right and i wanted to clear out literally every single side quest i could <laughs> and that i had available because i just loved living in the world of uh, disco elysium um it went into some i i did not predict the ending at all i was like giving like these wild theories and lana was like uh-huh 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 uh -huh. <laughs> and it's just like so logical and beautiful and there are some there's some things at this ending that i'm really excited to chat about there's some uh some moments where he has a dream that I just thought were stunning. Um, some of my favorite moments in video games, and that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, I've heard that as like a criticism of the game that it's like a whodunit that you can't really predict uh, based on clues, like what the actual solution is. But um, to me, that's like missing the point a little. But it is interesting. <laughs> I don't think anybody would really guess the the way it ends. I mean, I was like, I think Harry's dead. And then I was like, <laughs> I think Classic. Harry did hacky. it. <laughs> and you're right. They're all tacky, but I've like grown up on like mystery stories and mm -hmm. novels. And I think part of what it's doing is like mm -hmm. looking into the ways in which we uh, eat those narratives up. And that's not, <laughs> that's not mm -hmm. like the way that uh, life or murders or whatever, that's not the way these mm -hmm. things generally happen. Um, and it's, a lot more random than that in some ways, but also a lot darker um, than even I expected in a lot of ways. Yeah, the solution is much more about like the world mm -hmm. than it is the mystery. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 it was not something I expected, but, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> um, so uh, I think that we kind of ended our last discussion uh, at sort of you know day two, day three ish. Um, in terms of the plot, um, we know that, uh, you know, you wake up your disa disaster cop, Harry, and uh, disaster cop, Harry meets very good cop, Kim, very, very good cop, Kim, um, as they're trying to discover who uh, murdered someone in um, Martinez. And you go out and you investigate the body. 
Um, although apparently you don't even have to investigate the body to beat this game. I discovered that by looking at the list of achievements, which actually taught me a lot of things that I didn't do. I was like, oh man, I need to play this game again right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to do that yet, but I will soon enough. Um, and then um, after that, it sort of leads you eventually to um, talking to the union boss, trying to find your gun, and uh, you eventually get to cross over to uh, the other side of the uh, of the water lock, I think it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And um, you eventually discover, uh, as we discussed, like there there is a basically this conflict going on between Wild Pines and the Union, and the Union wants a seat at um, like basically like they want every single member of the Union to be like a chair in the uh, company. And I can't imagine any capitalist company allowing anything even vaguely resembling that for the most part. Um, and so obviously that's not going to work out. We think that maybe uh, the body has something to do with that because he was a, a mercenary working for Wild Pines, as we discover uh, as time goes. And so, um, but, you know, uh, and as we were dis- discussing, like the mystery is really just sort of the ends to allowing us into this world, into the discovering this world um, and talking to people. And, you know, one of my favorite interactions in the whole game is with the Hardy Boys, which are a group of. Um, sort of uh, almost police uh, for the union uh, because the police, uh, the RCM hasn't really had a presence in this space. And at first they seem like real jerks, <laughs> especially the guy, the main guy, Titus yep. um, just seems like <clears throat> the worst. Um, and then he ended up becoming one of my favorite characters. Um, and I, I think that that gets to one of those ideas we were talking about with the last episode where uh, so many of the characters in this game come off a certain way. And then they are more than a plot point and they are real people. Um, even like uh, Joyce in some ways, I think is really interestingly mm-hmm. written. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just thought that those interactions were really interesting. Yeah. It's uh, really, this game is just like, yeah, there's like the, the murder mystery at the heart of it all, but really that's just an excuse to, to talk to all these characters, which end up like being these really long winding conversations with multiple mm-hmm. paths you can take different checks that they demand uh that will vary depending on what kind of a character you're building yep. which you can actually achieve and uh really like <clears throat> every conversation in this game is like kind of like a, a level of its own uh and just like turns turns like it's like structured the way like you kind of like come back to it and uh, uh have like these different interactions with it like I find like all of these like different like little little plot points in the game, like the 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 church uh and like the anotic dance music thing that's going on there, or like the three drunks like off the coast or the hardy boys, they're all like these very like none of the characters in this game really like move a lot, but like you're moving back and forth, you're doing like a lot of jogging around the city and uh coming back to, to certain characters as you learn more and uh it's amazing how like much it can like bring this world to life and like you keep learning different things about the characters um that that just like really change your the way that you're like looking at harry the way you're building harry the way you're role playing him and also uh the way you're like understanding this world so uh, i just like really appreciate the the kind of unique structure where it's like a very like, relatively small fixed world but the way you're moving between these characters and the way like the ideas you're learning are interacting with each other really add uh, a lot of like color and flavor to the gameplay and, and your particular journey uh, as as Harry as well. Uh, yeah, all of it builds so beautifully. I think that's one of the things that struck me the most, like in my first few days, is 
there's just so much room to build information back and forth between characters like they're relatively stationary but any little thing you do has the capacity to kind of get a new op option to talk with someone about it or just the way harry goes from you know hysterically telling joyce like mr Everett's helping me find my gun or taking health damage from sitting in Everett's chair to you know kind of building his skills and like having more complex conversations and kind of it really feels like you there's a sense of development and you're kind of building something with all these different characters the more you interact with them i don't know it's it's really neat yeah and i think um you know kind of building off that you're though so much of the of the game is dedicated to like building and fleshing out this world so by the end of the game you've you a lot of the things you've done i would say like 80 or 90 percent of the things you do honestly have really nothing to do with solving the case but because they they build out your knowledge and understanding the world and the types of people that inhabit it and because like the the solution of the case and then all of the events preceding it that lead into it are so tied in with that kind of the the world and, and universe and, and lore and everything that they've created um it it feels very satisfying even if like on paper you were to list everything that you did uh most of it almost seems extraneous but when you're when you're actually done it doesn't feel that way yeah, um, but I will take issue with you saying that me starting up a dance club in a church <laughs> is extraneous, okay? <laughs> but it's not. That's what I'm saying. It, 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 it seems like it would be, but it, but it's actually like super important. Yeah. 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 I, I think that um, what's interesting about that, and I, I don't want to get too far off the, the main story here yet, but I feel like that church side story is like sort of like the most major side quest mm -hmm. um, that you can engage in in the game. Mm -hmm. And um, it, one of the things that I thought was fascinating about it is that, like, so the, the church uh, storyline to sort of back up for a second here. So it's when you get over to the other side of the water lock and you uh, meet, you see the church and you can't really get in. And then you meet these three people who all say they want to start uh, a dance club uh, in the church with a, a donic music. Is that what it's called? Anotic dance music. Anotic yeah. dance mm -hmm. music. And Egghead is uh, one of my favorite characters in the entire <laughs> game. Uh, Egghead is a great name for him, even if he didn't look like he had an egg for a head. Yep. There's like, there's nothing happening up there except for music, dance, hardcore. Hardcore um, to the mega. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so at first it just seems like the silly thing. Cause you realize very quickly that they really want to, <laughs> use it to make drugs in the church and of course i allowed them to do that or if you fail I... a or if you fail a bunch of checks uh like i did you don't realize that quite so quickly and it causes some problems oh wow so <laughs> i, I want to hear more about those in a second uh, but i you know you you do that and it just seems like this really weird silly thing and then it turns out to be uh the church people who are there currently like there were people who um you know we're originally working on that game across it and like there's like mm -hmm. this sound spot and like there's this weird crab man and the rafters i never really understood what was happening with that but i liked it <laughs> um and it becomes like this way of like you discovering things about the pale and like they make all this supernatural stuff like vaguely scientific um and then uh you know eventually it just becomes like a place where like <laughs> in my favorite moment in the entire game uh where harry just like absolutely goes wild on the dance floor um and it was like weirdly 
joyful uh, just to watch it in all its goofiness. And I, mm-hmm. I thought that storyline was really fascinating, talking about things that sort of feel separate, but like are such a critical part of building this world, both from like the community building thing that's going on here, but also like the weirdly unexplained supernatural, which becomes very critical uh, later on. It's also very, the church is also very thematically um, important for Harry's backstory. So there's kind of like mm-hmm. a, a extra layer to you mm-hmm. like, getting on the dance floor and um, doing that because it, it mass, it changes Harry's relationship to that space. Huh. I never thought about he, that. <laughs> he actually had a very you know negative association with that space. And it's even implied that, um, what had happened there before, like the reason he was there before is partly why he like is the way he is now. Um, so it, it's almost right. like a rebirth. <laughs> yeah. You, mm-hmm. the church. Oh, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add a little bit to that and say, yeah, if you are able to delve into it, you find out that there had been some pretty destructive and pretty messed up like police raids happening in that church. And that's basically what led to it being abandoned, right? Yeah, yeah. Harry's <laughs> precinct uh, did a raid on the church. And, yeah, which is uh, funny because there's all this other backstory about like neither Harry nor Kim's precinct really wanting to be in the area, and some other characters saying like, "Oh, you never, you know, you're not here. We police ourselves." But apparently, that was not the case in this instance. Yeah, and like a, a similar. Uh little quests you can have that's similar to the church in terms of like kind of like that uh more of like a character building interaction for harry is um and you get it very early on it's like the the quest to um sing karaoke at the whirling and regs the, mm-hmm. the motel that uh, you start off in and uh once you get like a sad song on tape which you can discover uh just behind a house along the coast uh you can get back and uh you know, and bring out your boombox. You insist a guard that no, you have to do this. This means a lot to you. You have to pass a drama check, which I uh, I failed this time. I got on my first um, playthrough, and it was like a beautiful, sad song sung uh, quite well by like a baritone Harry. But uh, this time around, I had like the. Do you, did anybody else get the horrific necktie uh, for their playthrough? Like the interactions with it. Yes. Uh, I did not. Yeah, so so you know that uh, that necktie you start the game with, Zach. Yeah. Um. So that can I I don't know what the prerequisites are, but that can start talking to you like very early on in the game yeah. and lead to like a whole mm-hmm. like really deranged quest line that mm-hmm. I pursued, and and I'll get back to that. But um, the funny part is like mm-hmm. the the horrific necktie's voice is just like absolutely like ridiculous, just just. <laughs> I recommend anybody looking it up, but if you fail the karaoke check, um, instead of having like a proper like singing, you have the horrific necktie Necktie voice voice. just singing the entire song. Oh no! I I I, I missed that. It was it was so good, and like it was my favorite part of it was that afterwards, like if you pass it, like I remember Kim being like genuinely like moved by your performance. But after this one, he's just like, you know, you, you gave it your all. And uh, like more than anything, like this is just like the perfect um, like metaphor for being uh, uh, an officer of the RCM. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I thought a- I thought that was a beautiful moment and, and a really good moment where Kim's just like doing his best to uh, to cheer you up. Mm hmm. 
Zach, you didn't you didn't get the like necktie to talk to you at all. Like that no. didn't happen. At, oh my it god, did I didn't even know that could. I didn't even know you could. At least I don't think happen. so. It didn't in my it didn't in my first playthrough. So okay. I'm not sure what exactly the uh, the deal is there, but. Yeah, I'll get I'll get to the necktie again later on because I had like the end of the quest is amazing with it. I I did not pursue it. I just let the tie talk to me occasionally and then kind of ignored it. Oh man, that is you know again like it's it's one of those things like where sometimes I feel frustrated that I I missed out on parts of a game, but with this game like I feel excited that I missed out on parts of it. Um, but you know what's interesting is I want to back up for a second, kind of talking about that because I think that um. Because actually, when I did karaoke, Kim wasn't there because he had abandoned me um, because I said something horrific to him um, in the church uh, oh, when no. I was dancing. So when you try to get Kim to dance with you in the church, if you fail that check, which it's a red check, and I was like 57%. So I'm like, oh, I got this. And uh, I failed the check. And you call him like a racist slur. You don't get to choose it. You just do it. Oh, um, Yikes. And kim leaves and then he has like a pretty sober conversation with you about um what it's like to live in, in revishal and marcinese for him and um then then he entirely leaves and I, and I think that um one of the things i really liked about that was like it it's not something you could have chosen to do on purpose and um the ways in which harry despite your best efforts can sometimes um totally just go off the rails Anyway, Kim, failing check. Other people probably passed that check. Jerks. I did. <laughs> so talk about that. It's awesome. <laughs> I just, I love everything leading up to it, too. You basically go through this series of, you. at that point, I was just trying to get everybody to dance. Um, and you, <laughs> leading up to the check, you, you tell Kim that there's an emergency and you I think it's a code 37 and you would just keep going on with this uh, emergency on the dance floor, the emergency, not enough Kim, <laughs> like all these things. And you finally kind of get him to crack a smile and then you can do the check. And if you pass, you get everybody dancing, including Kim. And aside from it being just like, like you kind of said, this really joyful moment with everything going on on around you um did anybody pass there's a shivers check actually right after that which is also really interesting did anybody else pass that no uh, okay it's it's like it's doing it has some odd name like engaging the hyperdrive or something i have to check exactly like what terminology they use but like you get a lot of bonuses for the more people you have dancing and if you pass it like either way if you pass or fail harry kind of passes out on the dance floor a little bit um but if you pass the the check to engage the hyperdrive the city talks to you i think that's still that might be a thing even if kim does leave maybe i'm not sure oh okay but, yeah I, I i can't remember there's so there's so much text in this game <laughs> like maybe you, trying maybe, to keep it all straight yeah maybe maybe you still get the chance to engage the hyperdrive even if you upset kim maybe yeah it's an awesome moment um, regardless and i think that even if you do fail it it gets you um like that you know, that joyful moment mm -hmm. or that sobering moment and i, I think it gets to this idea that like even if you're failing things in this game it can still do things that are really interesting mm -hmm. but speaking of interesting i need to hear more about this necktie alex 
<laughs> yeah, sure. So so the horrific necktie um just like starts talking to you. It, it happened to me fairly early on in the game. Um just like has this ridiculous voice, just has like this very powerful energy. It really wants to just be your buddy, calls you Breton. Um and uh as you're doing like different drugs and drinking specifically, it gets really happy. Like it it ultimately just just seems to like want you to be happy, but wants you to accomplish that through uh, copious drinking and drug use. Mm, um, that's probably why I've been in the West. Oh. And 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 as a superstar uh, cop this time around, I just embraced it. I'm like, yeah, I'm a superstar. This is my uh, necktie buddy. We're we're gonna we're gonna do all kinds of crazy crazy stuff together. So um, the the kind of turning point with the necktie um, is when you're along the coast and you're talking to. Um, just like the the three alcoholics, uh, I forgot what their names are. Exactly. Uh, idiot Doom Spiral. Yeah, Idiot Doom Spiral and, is and the friends. main one. Yeah, and then there's a there's one that lays on the ground and just says Abigail, and that's like presumably his wife or former wife, like ex wife or girlfriend or something, and he just repeats her name over and over. And then uh, there's a guy you can he's like a vendor you can buy things from him. The other guy. Yeah, so those three just like are a really kind of more bleak look at uh, alcoholism that you see in this game but they're interesting characters especially the the idiot doom spiral guy but um the vendor you can uh, he offers you like a different like a couple different drugs or, or booze and uh one of them is like this bottle of like spirits that's like 98 percent alcohol <laughs> and like the necktie is just like starts like writhing around on your neck is just like gets really <laughs> excited is the way it's like described and it's just, like we have to get that like how much fun we'll have and uh it's like 300 real but if oh, you just shoot. listen to the guy's stories um he misspeaks that it's three real and oh you just... that's how that's why you have to listen to all those stories yeah okay. <laughs> and you just give him three real and he's like okay here's the <laughs> here's the spirits and so the necktie is just like all right this is like exactly what we've been waiting for like let's wait for like an important moment to uh to break this out and we're just gonna we're just gonna go to party town i'm like okay hell yeah i'll just keep this on hand and wait to see what happens so after the ruby interaction um the necktie kind of spoke up and he's just like uh all right uh take out the bottle and i want you to put me inside of it and i'm like okay uh sure buddy um and it gives you like a bunch of chances to like opt out it's like kind of discouraging like anybody who's not leaning into the the hardcore like alcohol and drugs kind of character to do it at multiple points because it's kind of like implied that the necktie is going to want you to butt chug that bottle of spirits but uh anyways you don't have to do that you just put the necktie in the in the bottle and Kim's just like, uh, okay. And then you can kind of just like be like, yeah, my necktie's been talking to me, but he seems to he seems to have like a good good heart. And it's like, okay. And uh, then when you get to the tribunal portion, uh, which is kind of uh, where Harry uh, like has to have this like kind of actual like physical showdown, the really only like kind of violent part of this game. Um, the necktie is just like, all right, it's. Uh, feel free to use me in this encounter. And sure enough, you get a hand-eye coordination check during the tribunal where you can light the necktie in the bottle <laughs> and throw it at um, the the kind of like main scab leader oh guy, God. and it just sets him on fire. Oh my God. 
<laughs> Good old Molotov cocktail. And as that's happening, you have this really heartfelt interaction with the necktie where he's always where he's just like, I've always just like looked out for you. He's just like, I hope you like go okay from now on. I was just trying to like make you oh have a God. good time. I hope you get through all your problems. And uh, it was it was really one of my favorite interactions this playthrough. I was so it's glad phenomenal. I saw it through. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. That's incredible. I, I got nothing that matches that. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> but I, I would be interested to hear anybody else's uh, kind of like the most rewarding uh, quest line or, or through line that they they went uh, they took on in the in this playthrough. Do you all have any? You know, weirdly for me, um, and we'll, I promise we'll get back to the, the main story eventually here, listeners. <laughs> um, weirdly for me, it's, uh, and I think it was added into the Final Cut version, um, where you have the opportunity to go uh, like pursue your um, political bent, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, the final. political vision quests. The yeah, political vision quests. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I was very communist in my playthrough. And uh, eventually, like, you get this thought that, like, you need to organize. I'm like, all right, I'm going to organize. And you go around and you try to find people to organize. And uh, you, you get, like, a sensor or something that senses when you're close to other communists. <laughs> um, and I uh, eventually you find yourself with these, um, like, basically college. I think they're college dropouts, technically, uh, who are, like, these incredibly intellectual uh, communist uh, thinkers, I guess, maybe generously is a way is a way of generously putting it. Um, and you uh, join their book club, and the only way you can join their book club is by doing a lot of reading. Otherwise, you have this crazy check. And oh, interesting! Any yeah. book? Uh, I th- yeah, I actually think that when I first tried to pass the check, it was like eight percent, and I had whatever it was in. Like I was pretty high in it, and so then I went and I read all the books I could the next day, including there was a communist book that I picked up at some point. Um, and That's then appropriate, I like, at least. Uh, a 92% chance of passing after I did all that. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm just picturing you going and like, hmm, yes, I read Dick Mullen and Man from Yamgol. <laughs> exactly. That's the kind of stuff I was reading, too. Yeah. Really high class stuff. Well, what's interesting <laughs> is that eventually you can get into conversations with them about like the politics of Dick Mullen. And um, <laughs> like the things they're saying are like oftentimes very naive. And I think the game thinks of them as like these sort of pie in the sky thinkers. It, as It's communists. heavily implied that they also have not done the reading. So right. when you go exactly. and talk to them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in the way that a lot of young people probably uh, function, right? But <laughs> at the end, like they're talking and like, even though the game is like sort of like definitely jabbing at them, um, they like have like these like really kind of like beautiful ideas about what communism can bring and things like that. And Harry says something like, Oh, they're so young um and like it becomes like sort of like this beautiful interaction for the idealism of these people even though they're not really prepared for it they don't really understand what they're talking about and they're kind of just talking in the highest way possible about something um but i i, I thought it was a really interesting way and it gets to something we were talking about last time where like you know anybody who plays this game no matter where your political leanings are you can find something there i think this game is very positive towards those kids in a lot of ways and, and admires their idealism they, but they're trying um, and in their own way, uh, and they're so full of themselves, but also they're so young. And I, I think there's something like weirdly beautiful about that sequence um, and the way that you interact with them. I really like that sequence. Yeah, that sounds great. I uh, I managed to start that uh, the 
the communist political vision quest uh, on this playthrough, but I didn't have time to see it through all the way to the end. But that sounds great. I might I might go back and uh, and do that. I, I'm kind of interested in all of those political vision quests just to see what they're like. From what I've heard, um, I mean, kind of appropriately because Revishol is kind of presented as this city where every ideology has failed at one point in history. And I think uh, all the political vision quests, uh, like kind of you were talking about with the communist one, um, almost like jab at the ideology, like they kind of like make a, a mockery of it, um, while also kind of for for like kind of something like communism, also seeing like the like the, the more beautiful side of it, like the idealism and how that's like worth maybe nurturing and kind of like young souls. So uh, it's just like a testament to like how well this this game kind of uh, treats like all like the different like political ideologies it, it touches on um and, and yeah. gives them all like uh yeah like a bit of say and like gives you an opportunity to buy into them but definitely critique some more than others I, like i i don't think anything in this game is like promoting fascism for example nope. <laughs> yeah it's for the way the game treats um some of the other ideologies in the way it treats um communism is very different yeah <laughs> I would say um, just in um, the characters that are chosen to portray or stand in yep. for those ideologies, and then also um, what your exploration of those ideologies will then yield to the player. Um, you know, it, you're gonna you get a much better experience well, with the more left end of the spectrum than you do with the uh, the more right wing ideas. So, yeah, I, I definitely think it's like. Yeah, communism first. It like gives a like a fair shake, and and moralism also. I feel like it it gives a fair shake. So I I think Kim for the most part, like you could you'd probably characterize him as a moralist. He he is uh, he well he directly he identifies himself. As oh one. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, working for mm -hmm. the moral intern. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, I my favorite uh one of my favorite interactions was also just um this time around I I got the like w once you do four decisions in one of the ideologies you get the um like opt-in offer whether you want to accept it into your thought cabinet and when i rejected moralism this time around it's just like kind of like mockingly was just like oh well it's the the kingdom of conscience is already coming there's nothing you can do about it <laughs> yep. and then in brackets it's just like even if it's very very slowly <laughs> <laughs> eventually yeah eventually mm -hmm. yeah that was a good one i actually did opt into that one I didn't quite finish the quest line, which I'm sad about, but I got pretty far with it. And there were some there were some fun moments. Yeah, what is what is that quest line and like what characters does that involve? I've never done that one. Um the smoker on the balcony and his mostly oh, his when, his okay. Sunday friend. Yeah. yeah you yeah, you meet yeah. him again on the beach. Them. Yeah. You meet him again on the beach and, and you're like because you start looking, you're like your volition and I think your empathy too start saying like, hey, you need to figure out who really has the responsibility here. And you're like, responsibility for what? No, capital R responsibility for the well-being of you know everyone, the city. And so you you go around trying to figure out who who's responsible. Um and you get guided, you know, oh, he's probably someone to talk to about it. And of course he says, well, you need to talk to the you know moral intern committee. So you get this quest line to, and they're actually in one of the airships, like the aerodromes. So you have to figure out a way to contact them. And at least this whole kind of fun quest line where you have to find someone who's an expert in 
you know, radio transmission. Um, and for me, it's Noid. Um, I got to kind of be buddies with him and you have to find an antenna. And it leads to this kind of cool sequence where you rig up uh, an antenna and a transmitter on the uh, statue of Philip III mm. to try and contact the moral intern and, you know, figure out who has responsibility and what's really going on here. And uh, that sequence didn't go so well for me, unfortunately. <laughs> I would have liked to see it through completely, but or one of those situations where you sort of fail, but it's still kind of is interesting uh so what en ended up happening for me is i i got the regular old antenna which i think means there's a better one i could have found uh i had decent interfacing and i was not using drugs or alcohol so i failed some checks so i ended up climbing the statue successfully luckily because it's interesting i i started the game way more way more focused on psyche and motorics but i built up my physique a little bit too so i made it i made the climb of the statue to make adjustments because there was lots of entropy interference and actually there was a weird repetition of kind of like the ghost conversation in the intercom but with kim this time when we were trying to dial in the antenna so you climb up to try to adjust it and uh i failed the very difficult interfacing check to adjust it and knock the head off the statue. Uh, <laughs> that's so sad how you like pass so many checks to get to that like crucial moment yeah. and then uh, yeah, that that's what this game does that very well sometimes. But it was but it was actually kind of forgiving because it still let me ask my questions. But then I wasn't sure it was getting kind of close to recording time when I was going back and like trying to investigate some of this stuff, so I wasted some of my like you're able to still talk to the aerodrome a little bit and uh i started asking the the person on the other end about themselves and their work-life balance so i actually went back and directly asked like okay let me talk to the committee directly you know i i want to know who has the responsibility and she can't she can't let you talk to them directly so i was like oh my god this is so frustrating and then I needed to finish the game. Yeah, it's like a, a bit of a commentary on the layers of bureaucracy and yep. liberalism. <laughs> that's how that's how I took the Sunday friend anyway. And so it's kind of like Yep, they like they just keep going that. with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to know that like they brought that back because I thought like those were like it was an interesting like sort of thread that I thought was like sort of dangling. I'm like, huh. Like, I, I kind of got what they were going for that. I, I know that, like, eventually, like, I got the homosexual underground thought. Yep. And I was like, well, this is, like, the dumbest thing ever. I'm putting it on. Yep. And then at the end, it was like, you don't think about sexual <laughs> other people's sexuality as much anymore. Now you're a grown-up. No bonuses granted. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and then you could talk to Kim, and Kim's like, oh, yeah, I see that you stopped. So, yeah, I, I think that... um. I like that they picked that up because like with the communism one, like it's like characters who Cindy's like a little bit involved, but it's mostly characters who you haven't really interacted with for the rest yeah. of the game. Yep. Does uh, anybody have other favorite quest lines, Ben? Uh, yeah. Did anybody else go on the date with Lillian? Oh, yeah. No. I totally, I totally ditched Kim to go do that. Absolutely. Oh, I okay, I need to hear me. about this. Kim was on the date with me. Oh, I didn't realize you could take Oh, my. It's like, it's like a you. very difficult check if Kim is there, I think. Yeah, you get a penalty, don't you? Yeah, it's like yes. a minus one penalty, but my, my suggestion was high enough that nice. uh, I was able to pass it. 
Um, yeah, so uh, I, I think um, just Lillian's like a really interesting character. Um, there, there's a fair amount of female characters in the game, but I feel like she is a really um, unique one because she's not really connected um, in terms personally to like the events of the rest of the game, though she is very key to the very, very end of the game. Um, but, um, she is like a, she's a fisherwoman and she's, you know, her husband previously, uh, died. Um, he basically died at sea. Um, and, and he was like a heavy F alcoholic. Yes. Yes. Like the other men that are in the, in the village when you go there. Um, and that's kind of the way she talks about it was like a very common thing for people in that community when it was still more of a community. Um, and so she was left behind with her twin boys and a daughter and um, she kind of just like makes things uh, you know work for them and for her um, mostly by fishing and then selling it to restaurants that are in the more wealthy parts of the city and then also she just uh, finds like stuff that washes up on shore so uh, one interesting thing is she's carrying around a saber, which is like ostensibly for protection. Um, and if the date goes well, then she'll actually <laughs> hand it over to you. I did not take that off the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. And she's just a really uh, cool character. Um, she, despite going through all that hardship, she is very, um, you know, like, practical and um but she's still like able to have fun and she kind of back and forth with you on the date and um you know like if you try to be a little more romantic she kind of will push away your advances but in a like compassionate way um that i just found like really endearing um and it's kind of nice to have this like tough but still kind of funny and sweet like single mom um, that's kind of making life go round for her and her kids in this really otherwise kind of destitute place. Yeah, she's really got her her stuff together compared to uh, most of the other characters in the game. Um, and I remember, like, uh, yeah, after at the end of the date where I did decently okay on, um, I think it was like suggestion, uh, like a passive check for suggestion came and was just like. Yeah, you would need like ten more years of uh, getting your stuff together after mm -hmm. like the whole disaster to like have any chance with her. Yeah, Which, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But um, one of my favorite parts of that date was because um, so I uh, in an earlier interaction with Call Me Manana, he um, he called me Tequila Sunset. Oh yes, and yeah. I I totally leaned into him. Like, oh, oh yeah, that was my that was my name the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I. I, I never referred to myself as harry this playthrough i was always tequila sunset and um yeah she tells you what it means <laughs> yeah she tells you what it means which is basically that um like it's like a, a name people in, in revishol give to themselves like particularly like alcoholics that are like kind of realizing that they're gonna die soon so they're kind of like their life is on the the sunset phase mm -hmm. um so it's actually like an extremely dark term and yeah, I was going around calling myself Tequila Sunset. I was the superstar cop, Tequila Sunset, all this time. And then that hit, and uh, something in me just clicked. And I'm just like, I ended up, instead of choosing the option where it's just like, oh yeah, I'm still Tequila Sunset, I kind of just like, I guess I'm just going to have to get a different name for myself. And uh, oh. yeah, it made her happy. And I think that that is what 
if I'd gotten you the, the sword. Aww. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I've seen some posts on the Disco Elysium subreddit from people who were alcoholics and then they played this game and it inspired them to um, quit um, and get help. So, uh, which I think is a really speaks to like how powerful the game's like messaging about um, that is, like about addiction. And, uh, you know, it does, it, I think it does a really good job of like representing kind of that experience and then also the way that it impacts other people but like very empathetic and not like preach here heavy-handed yeah right i mean i think that uh, that gets to like the way this game messages in general um like it's it it always wants you to sort of like see things as they are because like you think about like the vast majority of fiction or narratives or even like memoirs about things like addiction or thing or even like you know writings about political issues and it, and it presents it oftentimes in such like a here's the way it is kind of way here are all the problems uh but with harry and his alcoholism for example like <laughs> you genuinely get advantages from it in this game like you it's actually like helpful to passing checks to do drugs and drink alcohol um yep and but then it mm. gives you interactions like that um or you know it gives you interactions with someone like joyce who in most narratives like this would be like this evil horrible person or evar um who would also just be total actually i think evar is totally irredeemable but <laughs> um <laughs> you know it, it it has such a and it's not like and it's not like moralistic or like like humanistic in a way that feels pandering it's humanistic in a way that like looks at it sort of like i think with the kind of empathy that we need in our conversations about these things to actually be able to make progress um which i think is fascinating yeah like we started off the podcast kind of talking about like how like returning to different characters as you progress through the game just starts revealing like these layers of like nuance to them like even like uh going back to Everard at some point i agree that he's like a total scumbag but there was a i did get a maybe an empathy passive check at one point when i came back to him like late in the game uh around the time that uh i was gonna after i did like the the favor for him to uh get signatures and i ended up like forging one and then uh signatures for the like kind of housing project in the coast which is probably going to negatively impact everybody who's living there and uh so I, yeah i forged it and then yep, I got back to him and uh he was talking like his usual kind of just like rhetorical garbage and um but then at one point there was a check that's just like uh when he says something along what he's talking about along the lines of like how much like he genuinely like cares about like the people in this town it's just like I, I like I think he means it like empathy like uh came in with something like that just like he probably does he probably like does actually care about like Titus and like the people who work under him and everything like that even though like does that redeem him probably not no and uh yeah similar with Joyce like just like this uh liaison for like a huge corporation that uh just wants like its own kind of uh has its own like kind of economic stakes in Revishol uh really like easily unlikable character but yeah, the is, company that brought in these terrifying mercenaries yeah, in the yeah. first place by the way yeah and um but she also like as you talk to her just is genuinely like 
interested and uh, worried about Harry. She gives um, you a lowdown on reality. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah one of the earlier quests you get, which is which is great. Yeah, she has a lot of patience with you, um, which is did anybody just feels like a yeah human character. Sorry to interrupt. Did anybody see things through all the way with her? I mean, I I sent her off. I became uh, Everard's uh, puppet <laughs> and sent her off. I didn't mean to, but just sort of the way the conversation went. Ah, okay. So you mean like when she was in the fishing village? Yeah, when she goes to the fishing village, you have mm-hmm. a conversation with her, and you can say, like, I think you should leave, which to me seemed like the right move. And then it wasn't. That com- That is a loaded conversation. I think that was one of the points in the game where I was, like, sweating the most. And then I was like, Kim, help me. And then the game was like, Kim doesn't know exactly what the right thing is in this instance. And I was like, no. There, there's a variety of things. She ultimately gives you a lot of power in the decision about like what happens between her gigantic company and the union. And you you can say a variety of things. Like, I think what I ended up saying was like, take out Everard, cut the snake's head off. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, which didn't have any direct consequences because they talk about how uh, Everard and his brother supplanted the last union boss, which is something you can learn about. And then near the end game, you learn that they probably killed her Ooh, indirectly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, does she not leave if you say that then? No, she still leaves. No, she she'll leave no matter what. She'll leave okay. no matter what before when. the tribunal. But okay. she, it was sort of this kind of stalemate of her leaving, kind of collecting resources and information and trying to stop Wild Pines from like coming back in and you know taking over completely. Uh, and and actually, there's another check. Is it rhetoric? I think it's a rhetoric check. And you can, you actually learn, you learn who she actually is. I'm not sure if I did that one. I Which is what? She's not just a negotiator. She's like top level at Wild Pines, like probably a oh, member yeah. of the board. I did find mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah. But that just leads like, that just adds a whole other layer of complexity to this whole thing. Well, and that's the thing, like, um, like Alex was saying, like, where you can kind of see the humanity in everybody, like, it it definitely understands that idea that, like, nobody thinks of themselves as the villain. Right. So Mm -hmm. you definitely get the sense that, like, everybody, like, they all have really, like, understandable or somewhat justifiable motivations, even if the end result isn't good, because, you know, like, in Everard's case, yeah, he they supplanted the previous union head and then him and his brother. And then now they like basically run the union. Like it's almost organized crime, but they exist in a space where there was no police presence. There was no, you know, government or any kind of presence to keep the peace of any kind. So you can kind of see how they would view that as necessary. And then at the same time, you know, Joyce talks a lot about how, you know, things could have been different, but, you know, the, the, the liberals won, right? And so if, if they won, then they get to be in power. And then you have to, once you have power, you have the responsibility that comes with that. So it's very um, interesting. I think it gives everybody a fair shake. Well, even, even though it has its own, like, I think the game has its own opinion about the world and the consequences of a lot of those things, it definitely, you can see everybody's side and that makes it way more um, 
like interesting to talk to everybody and yeah and you learn can about them you can sort of see their motivations and see how they see themselves and see how the the results of their actions may or may not align with what they believe mm-hmm. yeah and i think um kind of to pull it back a, a little bit to yep. the main narrative um that uh and i think her name is Klasja? Klasja? Mm-hmm. Klasja. 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 um is a good example of that um yep. <clears throat> because uh <laughs> i i absolutely failed whatever my first check with her was because <laughs> the first thing i did when i walked out of my room because I said some very, very rude things to her. Um, it didn't work. Uh, my suggestion was not very high when I walked out of my room. Um, but uh, when you originally, after you talk to Titus, he sort of indicates that um, she knows uh, the man who died, who turns out is this mercenary who had been involved in some pretty horrific war crimes. But um, he, she has this, this, this empathy for him and this connection with him and um, I, I think that she is a deeply sympathetic character um, in a lot of ways, despite, you know, her love for this man who is obviously not <laughs> very sympathetic. Um, but I, I think that you find out sort of about her past and, uh, you know, eventually it turns out that, like, she's hiding information from you. Um, she's the one who made the call. Um, and her motivations are incredibly complex, I think, um, but also very simple. Um, where it's really about uh, her feelings for this this person, but also her being on the run mm-hmm. and this idea that this is a space for people who sort of can't exist outside of the space. Um, and I think that um, my interactions with her, which I didn't, you eventually discover that potentially you think that she might have been involved in the murder because literally the man who dies is sleeping with her at the time of being shot. He, um, like, like, she's just, she's so sympathetic to me that I, I never even occurred to me that I would arrest her. And it's really interesting the way the way the gameplay kind of treats that and her because you get this whole little sequence with your volition, like when you're mm-hmm. questioning her, where volition stops everything and is like, wait a minute. Some of us have been compromised, which is an interesting like added layer because you, you kind of get the feeling that Harry is not like viewing her objectively. And I think it was I had to do a check in the middle of that conversation with her to kind of snap drama out of it because it was, he just kept saying that she wasn't lying about anything over and over and over. And she would never lie and all this stuff. Uh, And I succeeded. And so after that, I had my drama telling me like, oh, we have to get back at her. She's a liar. She fooled me. I won't stand for this. Yeah, it's interesting how how Volition kind of pipes in there, like puts a stop to the conversation. Yeah, tells you that all your other skills are compromised and that like they're just like under her influence Mm -hmm. and uh so like therefore um like you should just arrest her that's really what volition wants you to do don't listen to the excuses of any of your other skills like just arrest her she's clearly lying to you and the interesting thing about yeah the interesting thing about volition is that it's like your psychological will to to move on like to move forward so somehow it sees arresting her as um like a kind of like a self-preservation type of thing which once you find out more about harry's past and like the heartbreak he had with his wife it like starts to sound like volition is like trying to like purge those emotions into an arrest of her when like really like a lot of the, the different skills have like a point that they're raising while they're like talking about her 
and I, yeah, I think like I, I think Zach, you mentioned this like in, in the long run, like it's it's not really justifiable to arrest her because it's clear that it's pretty clear that <clears throat> she didn't actually do the crime, uh, even though she is a flight risk, even though she has like a, a very complex uh, history. Um, even yeah, though she's just, withholding information. Yeah, and she yeah, yeah. and she is manipulating you and mm-hmm. lying to you, and she's yep. also manipulated and lied to everybody in the town too that yep. she's interacted with. Titus gets, gets pretty pissed off for one, for mm-hmm. example. And she's gotten them all involved into her mess, but at the same time, it's interesting because while she is connected, she ends up being connected to the crime. It's in a way that she has absolutely no control or even knowledge over. And um, all of that ancillary stuff, like her backstory and her interactions with all the other characters are basically completely irrelevant to why it happened. Um, and, and that's just such a, I think, like, interesting like thing for the game to do um, is to have her be this, like, manipulative chaotic force and also not really be responsible for (laughs) the events of the game in any real way and i think that the end game sort of gets to that idea really well like this like i think this game is so interested in political human forces and um how we're all sort of like the hero of our own story right and she's certainly the hero of her story um and uh ruby who we'll talk about in a second here becomes the hero of hers and you certainly are the anti-hero of your own story (laughs) um but you know like discovering who how the murder actually happened and how he sort of becomes the hero of his own very messed up story um and then if you did the crypto quest um sort Mm -hmm. of how it places that in this like much larger scope of perspective right yeah um it it calls into question his own responsibility for for um everything too yeah right yeah i i think that um I, for me, like the th- some of the thematic concerns of the game really started to crystallize at that point, and in that conversation, and we've skipped over, you know, some you know, some, some of the finer details about her, um, you know, manipulating people <clears throat> into helping her and um, things like that. But it, it, after you have that conversation, at least the first conversation, you eventually go back to her. Or I can't remember the exact sequence. Maybe it changes depending on how you approach it. Um, she indicates that you know there's an eighth member of these Hardy Boys, and we've you've kind of known about her for a while. She's uh, if you pursue a side quest, you realize that she is a a drug runner um in town. Yeah, a Joyce quest, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, it is a Joyce quest that Kim basically tells you not to do, and I of course did it because I you know my Harry's not listening to anybody. <laughs> um, but I was glad I did it because it, it it taught me more about her, and then eventually, um, you know, her Clausia's um. Basically, her idea is that Ruby probably committed the murder because, at least that's what she's presenting to you, because Ruby was in love with her. Um, and obviously, Klesia had manipulated Ruby to some degree as well. Um, and then <laughs> and then eventually you have to go over to the lock. And um, I love the way the blind woman addresses you when you get over there. <laughs> and she's just basically like putting you on the runaround, um, but eventually, you know, leads you towards her. Um, and uh, you get like this sort of weird sequence where she's playing the sound that will kill you if you're not approaching her with Kim. The pale emitter, yeah. That, yeah, the pale And that brought emitter. in the cool information you're learning about the world and the pale. Mm-hmm. Right, because she too. has to go through the pale running. As a lorry driver, drugs. yep. Yep, as a lorry driver. And you can talk to the other older woman lorry driver and she gives you some background on, on the pale and how it affects you. And so like 
um, Ruby's been doing experiments with radio technology to try and like mitigate or otherwise manipulate the effects of the pale. So then she turns that on you as a weapon. Yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating sequence, um, and I think that um, everything with the pale I think is really interesting because I think you you mentioned last time Ben that it was sort of like global warming uh, the stand-in in this game, and I hadn't gotten as much information yet sort of understand that and as you go further i think it becomes more clear but it also becomes like um like the way that people have to endanger themselves to uh, make this world continue but also the ways in which things are closing in and it also feels like sort of like things are closing in on harry um, and i think there's all these interesting things about the pale but i also think like in and of itself the interaction with ruby is really interesting um and sort of the path that it leads you on so what did you guys think about ruby and that sort of that whole sequence there are so many opportunities to kind of present and, and learn extra information there. Uh, my, my tactic was to kind of grill her for as long as possible while not dying. Yeah, I had a, I had a pretty high uh, pain threshold uh, stat this time around, so I was able to, to do it pretty no problem, shut off the thing. But um, unfortunately, I forget what stat it was that... Uh, you needed oh, no. to talk her down, but oh, I no. I did not pass that one, and that was that was just jarring because I'm pretty sure I passed that the first time I played this game. And I was so. Like, what oh, happens if you don't talk her down? <laughs> she she kills herself. Oh, okay, <gasps> makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is really horrible because it's especially tragic because she's she has like no involvement in the murder at all, and like really there's like no reason for anything bad to happen to her. So, oh gosh, yeah. Well, that's wow. dark. <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, like it, it but I, I have curiosity. Like, so we know, and I can't remember the details of this. We know that she like seemed very prepared for the murder when it happened, right? Is there ever an explanation for why that's? That's the case? what Claudia yeah, says. Right, it's a lie. Uh, it's a complete lie. That's what no... Claudia says. But yeah. if you talk I was to also Ruby... manipulated. Yep. Yeah. If you talk to Ruby enough, Ruby's like, nah, that was Claudia. Claudia said, let's uh, yeah, let's it was fake some idea. um lividity. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then when you return to Claudia and talk to her about that, like she will basically like admit it. And yeah, I mean, it it fits that her background because mm-hmm. she's like a corporate spy. And so it's like, you know, implies that, you know, of course, she's the most likely one to know what to do in this situation. Like, why would this woman who's a, like a dock worker and a lorry driver like know how what to do in, in that scenario? It's really interesting because um, I in that interaction with Ruby, like I just wanted to turn the thing off as fast as possible. And so like I, I just went to go do it like, as quickly as I thought I could pass the check. Um, so I didn't get as much information out of her as I probably should have. Um, and I actually think that it made some checks later a little harder um, because I didn't talk to her for as long as I could have, which, again, yeah. is interesting. Yeah, it really, it does like um, three points of damage to you, and so yep. after that, it does it stops doing damage to you while you talk to her. So you can basically like talk to her throughout oh. all of her dialogue and exhaust it without any, okay. any further damage. Yeah. I will keep that in mind in the future. That's a good pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. there's you wouldn't know that. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that section is really fascinating. But then I think, and it one of the most critical junctures of the game happens immediately after that, right? Yep. So like mm-hmm. you leave Ruby, you come back, you're, you're saying that you're going to, I think you're actually saying you need to go talk to Classia, right? Or maybe you need to go in the Whirling Rags or something. Like it's, you need it's, to go back it's to, Yeah, it's to it, go to the Whirling Rags. Yeah, yeah you basically get the, the tip. And you can get it from other people too, if you talk to them a lot. That I think 
Joyce also tells you about the tribunal, but she doesn't know exactly when it is. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Ruby will confirm, like, no, this is this is going down. You need to. Hmm. Yeah, she didn't also... even. She didn't tell me it was going down, so I think they just told me to go back. I you think. can also talk to the other the guy, the scab leader, who's one of the mercenaries, and he will tell you yep. if you have enough information about um the murdered guy, the deceased. Will... Yeah. Yeah. Right, because Joyce gives you the opportunity to interrogate him, right? That's how you get like that kind of quest opening. She tells you it's a bad idea, but you can do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, yeah. as you're talking to him, like, he keeps being like, "You need to stop talking to this guy right now." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, when you get back, uh, the tribunal, which is um, you know the mercenary group uh, that the the man who's murdered was a part of, um, is it, sort of uh, executing against. Uh, the union, uh, the Hardy Boys you know, specifically Hardy Boys. for killing yeah. their yeah fellow yeah, for killing their, mercenary. their fellow mercenary yeah, and it can get pretty violent. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've heard that because you know I my Harry jumps in front of them, and then I think Harry killed a couple of people. Some other people died, and I think maybe four or five people died in the interaction. Even six actually died in the interaction in my run. But I I think there's a way you can only have one or two die. Um, I don't know. I, I this is sort of what I've from what I've read. Um, but also in that interaction, Kim can be injured if you don't pass a check. Can be injured and get sent to the hospital. Um, yeah. Which you know, we'll talk more about where that can lead you. I didn't actually get that because I saved Kim. Thank goodness um, during that because I'd finally right before that gotten the achievement that said you've reached max trust with oh, Kim. Like I, yeah, I've improved my weird. relationship with Kim <laughs> yeah. over the course of the game. Um, but yeah, it, it's like a moment of like shocking violence. Um, and like my, I think that maybe one of the reasons they called me a fascist is because I got involved in that violence and I shot my gun a few times because <laughs> this felt like the right thing to do, but it probably wasn't. So how how did that interaction go for everybody else? Yeah. So uh, I'm curious: is it, does was anybody able to figure out that there was a third uh, member? Yes. of The mercenaries. Uh, okay, because I've never like both times in my playthrough. I know I I mean I knew because I played it before, but I, that didn't actually have Harry figure out that there was a third person. I mean, they, <gasps> I think that I knew there was a third person, but like I never interacted. Well, with a that third person. in addition to like because there's there three like there's the you, woman, there's the scab leader, right. and the murdered guy. But they bring in someone they bring else. in another one, so yeah. there are technically Killer. four. Gosh, and, how did I figure that out? I think it might have been Joyce. I don't. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, pro- that would, that would make sense. Yeah, so when, like, if you do investigating, you talk to the scab leader and stuff, and you try to investigate them and find the armor and those those quests, then you do find out that he's talking to, you, like, inter- I forget if you intercept a call or you find a recording, I think, of him, the scab leader, talking to another mercenary, and so you find out there's two, but then when I show up on the, on the, the scene of the tribunal there's like another guy <laughs> in with like a sniper rifle and like full armor and harry's like like what the hell <laughs> there's another guy we didn't even know about um and then uh yeah which which i it's interesting that you can figure that out because like i was like oh like, i don't know how i would have even begin to know that there was like a fourth mercenary yeah this playthrough i also didn't uh didn't uh, hear about the the third one. I, I think I did on my first one, but yeah, I can't quite remember what it was. But Joyce would definitely make sense as the the source that you could get that info from. Um, but yeah, the tribunal for me, um, 
like like I said, like immediately after the the whole Ruby interaction, which was pretty messed up for me this time around, uh, that's when I got my necktie voicing up. Uh, so that was a bit of a uh, weird comic relief. Um, so I put him inside the bottle, and then yeah, during the the tribunal, I got to I got to throw a Molotov at the scab leader, and then stuff just uh, escalated from there. Passed the authority check to save Kim, and. Uh, yeah, I, I also lost, like, I think around the same uh, amount of people as you, Zach. Like, four to six people uh, ended up dying there. Yeah, yeah. I also lost um, Angus, the, the big guy. Um, yep. The older one, um, the skinny old guy. Uh, his name's, like, is it like, Shanks or something like that? I can't remember his name, but... And then Glenn, who's like the long-haired guy. Who's yeah, like, I think Glenn I and Angus are, are the two that you will lose no matter what you do, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly from like what I read. I believe so. Shangi, you can give him an opportunity to run away, I think. Which oh, okay. didn't happen. Actually, wait, no. Yes, I think it did because I was like, I was definitely that person that was like, I'm definitely a pacifist when I do role-playing a lot of the time. So I was exhausting all the other options. I didn't want to just immediately shoot anyone and one of the options is to like mention something about wild like wild pines is gonna like this they're gonna you know come in and get you they're not gonna like the way you're you know going vigilante or something like that and that actually gives him the opportunity to run away interesting yeah, yeah so maybe that's what i should have done to save more people i, I didn't end up uh talking much at all this time around because like the combination of my half light just being like we need to attack now and like having the necktie i just like basically immediately when that started i threw my mouth <laughs> off that's yeah. fair yeah I, I think the main thing that talking does is give you a bonuses make, yeah bonuses to when you do act take, take the, the shot. shot yeah uh, which okay, which okay I, I was frustrated happy for yeah, the so bonuses but also frustrated yeah i mean and i think that's an interesting uh i mean because I, I so you really you have to take the shot is that accurate then Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I um. Did anybody fail the shot? No, but if nope. you, I failed my first playthrough, and you, Titus dies. I'm pretty sure. Oh. Okay. You fail a shot, and the, the um lawyer, she oh. dies as well. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it actually is a is a negative regardless. It's, like it's a pretty passive, significant. It's not a pacifist thing. It's fascinating. The first bullet that you get fired at. Um, if you don't dodge that and you don't have the T500 armor, do you end up dying there? No, but you do no. take damage. Okay. Oh, you just take health damage. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. And can can Kim miss? Did anyone have Kim miss the shot? I did not have Kim miss the shot. And actually, I was misremembering a little bit. I actually think I did not take the first shot. And what it does is it keeps the you know major new like armored guy. It keeps him in better shape, which changes, you know, I think that actually has one more of the Hardy Boys who charge him get killed. Hmm. Okay. And then actually, I think maybe dying? Titus. Is that Titus? I redid it, actually, because I lost Titus and I was sad. <laughs> <laughs> I understand it. This game, actually, we didn't talk about this, but if you want to, you can save scum the crap out of this game if you really want yeah. to. Yeah. You can yep. <laughs> totally break it through safe scumming. Yeah. yeah. I wish there well, was... As long as you have points to, to invest, to, right. to yeah. like change things. Yeah, like true. I, I do wish there was like a, 
like you could initiate a setting that prevented like quick saving like or just mm. like it, it your only wave saving is just like constant like auto saves like kind of like uh citizen sleeper does um it was just like i don't know it'd be interesting to have a playthrough that just uh like there's no possibility of saves coming so you have to roll with every single failure you get because it's so like if you have like a save file that's just like a couple minutes before something bad it's happens, so tempting, it's so tempting. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. oh for sure yeah yeah i mean i think that um the the level of violence there um and the way it like it boils over um you know it, 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 sort of pressing these two organizations together and i don't think like the mercenaries like you find out like all these really horrible things about the man who died like he was I'm not, I'm not sure if the story is true. I can't even remember if we find out that it's not true at some point that he was found in a leaf compactor or something. Um, you can actually tell that story at the tribunal. Yeah, I did. Bro- yeah, the, okay. Uh, yeah, okay, so I know, did. Yeah. And it, yep. it helped me pass a check at some point. Yep. Um, but the, the ways in which, um, you, you know, it pulls these forces together that are sort of like out of your control and out of their control and um, just like sort of the systems that they're existing in. Um, but also the violence that is sort of inevitable from it, I think is, um, it's shocking. Like I walked into it because I had no idea the tribunal, I knew the tribunal was going to happen, but I didn't know it was happening when I walked into it um, because Ruby didn't tell me that. Um, and so for me, from my experience, it was just like, it was totally out of the blue, even though I knew at some point that Kim might end up, I think he gets hospitalized if you don't save Kim during that. Mm -hmm. Um, that's right. So he's just gone for the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, which I I don't even I can't even imagine how the rest of this game would play out without Kim around. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a really interesting scene. So I, I know that like uh, whether you have Kim or not and are able to like bring him to the island can drastically affect the end of the game because whether he's there to vouch for you can um, like what when you finally end up uh, reuniting with like your your precinct um, that can like yeah really affect um, what what like Harry's kind of fate is and. Um, I know, like, if you go it alone, then you have, like, the lowest chance. I think having Kuno um, might help, like, a little bit. And, because like, there's a witness. I was going to ask, yeah, how, does, yeah. how does Kuno factor in? <laughs> yeah, I imagine he'd be a pretty chaotic witness, but maybe, <laughs> maybe he gets the job done. Um, did, did anybody have Kuno? Uh, anybody experience that, like, ever? Like, no. having Kuno oh, no. at the end of the game? That's... No. Uh, I, I want to go back to one of my old saves and just and do fail it. that check just to see. Yeah. But yeah, what you were gonna say, Ben? I'm sorry. Oh, all, all I was gonna say is it's. Um, I think the tribunal is really um, interesting in terms of like the the themes um, of the the game. So it's kind of presenting you. Um, it's very like an anti-imperialist scene um, mm-hmm. because you're seeing the effects of, um, in this case, um, a corporation, but a corporation empowered by um, the the ruling government over a country that has been defeated in war and is thus like basically occupied as a territory of this ruling group, and um, how they're able to just send in these armed military squads at their own discretion with no oversight and no consequences to them, and then they get to basically enact justice as they see fit, and that that's very similar to the kind of things that happen all over the world. Um, as a result of of Western imperialism, um, and yeah. because this is a um, you know a game made by um, people from Eastern Europe who kind of have an understanding of of that kind of society or a society that has collapsed and has had that 
well, situation the happened. Developers are Estonian, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, they have some first-hand Soviet Union kind of experience, well, and, I think. Yeah, and specifically, like, the, 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 the period after the collapse of the Soviet Union, yep. I think, is mm-hmm. what they're drawing on. But I've also seen, like, interesting... Um, I saw there's a really interesting uh, Reddit post from someone from Iraq, and um, I might add it a, a link to it in uh, when we do the, the article for this yeah. episode. Um, but talking about how they related so much to the game, um, both because of the kind of beauty in a broken place kind of theme to the game, mm-hmm. but also the kind of anti-imperialist themes, and I think that that um, that this tribunal situation how horrible it is and the destruction of it and also the the way it feels very unfair and very arbitrary and right. very pointless mm-hmm. um you know ties into that theme and is very um understandable and relatable for people from very different places that have all been at the receiving end of um you know colonialism and imperial violence yeah i mean i think that um in so much as it can, it also sees the mercenaries as like sort of a tool of that imperialism, right? And yes. I think that the way that the they address the RCM and like how they can't, they're probably as just an organization in terms of policing as you have in this game, right? But like they're not, of course, mm-hmm. but they can't, they have no real power. Well, um, not really. Yeah, and a, a lot of people see them like people you talk to and Martinez see them as like collaborationists with the coalition right. um, government. Or um, um, pawns of... Mm-hmm. There's a whole sub thing that we didn't go into actually about how Ruby kind of plans the idea that Harry is the pawn of a drug lord. Isn't it related to the raid on the church too? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, but I think if you do end up inquiring about that later in the game, your precinct basically tells you, like, no, that's not true. Yeah. Which, of course, it almost certainly is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's fascinating. That's, like, all kinds of stuff that I did not uncover. Um, Yeah, but it's also suggested that the RCM is, um, like, was created out of the remnants of the the People's Army from um, when Revachol was... um, communist so right yes it it kind of gives you both it's giving you the perspective oh these guys are just a, a group of people empowered by the coalition to do their dirty work but then it's also that they are actually you know there is a history of them being a grassroots people's movement also um and so it's it's really interesting <laughs> they kind of occupy both yeah. yeah i mean as we're talking about this like i think as, as frustrated as I was by having a very high encyclopedia stat, and I was, <laughs> um, I, I think that I cannot think of a, a video game that looks at like sort of like the way the sweep of history um, in this fictionalized space, um, this way the sweep of history, I think the way it's the reason it's so effective is because it can sort of divorce itself from the biases that we have as players, right? About these spaces and these places. And no matter how much we read, we all sort of have our ways of viewing, um, you know, political um, or not, or human um, problems in all these different parts of the world. And I think that the way it addresses the way the scope of history and the sweep of history um, sweeps <laughs> people under the rug and the impact that it has um, is unrivaled. Um, and I think that fictionalizing it to the degree that they do, while also being so driven by things that really happened, um, is what allows it to have sort of that power and the clarity that it has yeah they walk that line 
pretty expertly. Yeah. So after that, um, <laughs> it, it, like it, it obviously, if Kim goes away, uh, I think I'm not sure how it would work. But you have the opportunity to go uh, recruit Kuno to be a co-detective, which seems kind of like a lovely idea. Um, like you're going to put this kid on maybe a slightly better path. I'm not sure if being a cop is a better path or not, but whatever. Um, I don't want to go too far down that road. But um, it certainly like um, it, it's a really interesting way of doing it. But for uh, all of us on this podcast, and I think the you know the, the best ending, right? You you, you save Kim. And then you go back to investigate. And, I, and if, if memory serves, the, the next place you go is actually back to the crime scene. And you discover, you figure out um, where the shot must have come from. Yeah, um, and you, you can do that before the tribunal. Oh, too. yeah, I did, the I did that on my first playthrough, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, but you don't, it doesn't, um, and you can go to the island and like look at different spots. Or the not, or you go to the other side. Sorry, you go to the other side of the of the shore. You know the other shore and look at mm-hmm. the spots. But I, I don't think you can, you know, figure anything out before the tribunal. No. Happens. Yeah. Yeah, it still like uh, remains like really ambiguous, and you need like a crazy high visual calculus stat to be able to do that uh, earlier. Wow, that's cool. I had no idea. Uh, well, I didn't do that. I did it after the tribunal. <laughs> um, and you discover that the shot must have come from an island in a space that you've never been to before. And this gets, and it's like not even, it's like basically hinted at this island existed, but like not in the way that a mystery novel or a TV show might normally do it, where it's like, it's enough that you know that you're going to have to go there eventually. Like for me, it was just like this waste, this wasteland place off in the distance, sort of as a result of, you know, wars involving the coalition and stuff like that. Um, and so the way you get over there is via boat. Um, you go over on uh, what's her name's boat? Lillian. Lillian's oh, boat. Um, and when you get there, um, you are sort of exploring and trying to figure out um, what happened there. Um, and as you're exploring, eventually, and I'm not sure if you can skip this or not. I'm really glad I didn't. You can uh, take a nap, and then uh, you don't realize you're having a dream. But Harry's having a dream where he's like kind of walking around trying to find Kim. And uh, he runs into a woman who is uh, Dolores Day is her name, right? Um, who is supposed to sort of be like the goddess, uh, not really a goddess, but like I don't know, it's kind of the like Jesus Mother figure. Teresa, yeah, yeah Jesus, like a, Mother Teresa. Yeah. This is like a weird combination figure. of things. Yeah, they have this. Just really quickly, like I guess the his like in the history of this world that we're in, they have at least a lot of the Isolas have this like innocent eccentric system where every once in a while there are like these people who are deemed innocents who are basically kind of christ-like figures that like guide humanity and like most of humanity accepts their leadership when they come around and she is the most is she the most recent one i think she might dolores day might be the most recent one if memory serves she was around in the last hundred years yeah i think um, but regardless, um, you, you know, when you go in that dream, eventually, like you're walking around and you get to walk on water uh, um, and then you run into someone who is sort of initially presented as Dolores Day. Um, but you realize that Dolores Day is really Dora, who is Harry's ex fiance actually. They were never even actually married, um, who um, has to me like this heartbreaking and sort of vaguely beautiful in some way interaction with harry about like the interactions they had and you know she calls him insane on a couple of different occasions and just like 
how horrible and truthful the things that she says to him are, but also just like the pain that he's feeling. And I'm not sure how many of you guys made the phone call um, yeah, on I, the left side, of, the west I side did, of the lock. Yeah. Um, but I did. And um, obviously that was a, a very painful um, phone call to have. Uh, Kim had gone away. I'm not sure how that impacted it. Um, but the way that, you know, this game looks at both large histories of this game, but also the personal history of Harry as well and how it is, how history just like impacts these people in these different ways. And I just think that sequence is heartbreaking. I like the fact that she's almost like a goddess figure, like he put her on a pedestal and that was part of the problem. Um, it, it's such a rich interaction um, and I love it. Yeah, it's definitely one of one most memorable moments of, of the game. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, to answer your question, uh, I didn't get it this time. Uh, there is actually, I slept on the, the bed uh, and it just didn't happen. The dream sequence didn't happen. And I think when I woke up, I think it was Inland Empire piped in and said uh, something along like something along lines of like somehow you didn't interact with X Y or Z, um, and like it described in like very vague ways. I think one of the things it said that you could have interacted with was like some book in the bookstore. Yes. Um, so yeah, there's like three separate things in the game that if you interact with them will prompt like kind of like a, a much more like clear, vivid memory of um dora uh as part of like harry's past and i didn't get any of them this time and so i didn't get the dream sequence and harry never really rediscovered that aspect of his past did, did you talk to her on the phone alex i didn't know yeah i bet that's i think that's one of them that's probably another one and yeah there's there's one more that's just slipping my mind it's probably the case file thing the notebook you find in the garbage i'm guessing oh yeah your ledger out. Yeah, yeah. I, I sifted through a lot of it, but not all of it this time. So that yeah. might be another one. Yeah. There was like an an actual like really interesting thing that happened with the ledger, and I think that might also have it be a clue. Like the wind started to take away one of the pieces of paper in the ledger that I think had something about her on it. Uh, um, and you have the opportunity to either look at it or let it go. And my shivers told me to let go of the paper, so I let go of the paper. Wow. Oh, that's very cool. That's interesting. <laughs> but then I interacted a lot with the stained glass window and I got a quest to like to, give to Dolores D a figure. Uh, yep. Figurine. And I, I got that oh, one too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was very confused by that. Cause I was like, I'm in front of the, I'm in front of the window right now. Where is she? Why won't you take it? Uh, but yeah, then I realized why later. Yeah, so I thought I thought this was like definitely a mandatory part of the game, and I was I was so surprised that I didn't get it this time. Like I thought it's such a key part of Harry as a character, so it's cool that they they allow you to miss it. Yeah, that's just contributes even more to the replayability yeah. and. Well, know. I guess it makes sense if you if you're not delving into her at all, and you're not like bringing up his memories of her then i guess there wouldn't be anything to prompt. right yeah <laughs> it's like a, a dream sequence oh go ahead hillary oh no i was just sorry i was just gonna say i i think there is sort of an opt like at least in that moment like that i got with the ledger it feels like there are kind of two paths there where you can sort of like opt out and be like nope whatever this is i'm not gonna because, you know, you're getting you're getting warnings from your volition and your Inland Empire being like, mm, maybe you don't. Mm, this isn't a good idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, the same thing is true during the phone call. Like, you have to do that a lot of times. At least yeah. I did. 
yeah. um, to even make the phone call. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a, an interesting element of role playing. Like you can, you can sort of role play Harry to let some of this go. Um, yep. I was definitely not going to do that because I was interested. Um, <laughs> as a as the player, I was interested in what happened to him. But um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, and it didn't feel like I was like I wasn't particularly like trying to avoid any interactions. And there were times that I'd be interacting with things, and there'd be like one of my skills would pop in saying like, "Oh, like something about like a woman," or like I'd be looking through like the ledger, and even just like opening the ledger in the first place is like uh, some kind of a check that uh, could reduce your morale because you're you just feel like you might discover something you don't want to see in it. Um, and yeah, I was just like took completely caught me by surprise that uh I, I didn't get the dream sequence yeah i mean i i would like this game less if i didn't get it but i think it would be interesting on a second playthrough not to um yeah but i mean after that um we're really at our end game well, we already are in the game end game but really in the final scenes uh where you discover this very old man who's a communist who's lived on this island for what 40 some years 50 years since I the believe. war yeah. yeah yeah um and he's a complicated and odd character who there are reasons for that um and, and again i because you discover that he's the one who actually committed the murder and it is i think from a a narrative we've come to expect perspective like a deeply unsatisfying ending um which is the point and so i found it satisfying as a result um in the ways in which we try to like piece together uh things that make sense in the world but there are things that we can't see and all those other things but also Again, like you, it's it's a person who's there as a reminder of the consequence of history. Um, even if we didn't, we don't see it, we don't know it, we're not aware of it. Um, and it turns out that you know he's not really all there, and there are reasons for that. But also, like it was maybe at least in my playthrough, it was like an act of jealousy. Was yeah. it an act of like yeah, pro worker or anything like that? Yeah, misogyny yeah. and jealousy, yeah. um, which I think is not at all what i would have expected if you told me a communist on an island committed the murder i'd be like oh that kind of makes sense if you kind of loop that in but no like they they turn it on its head again um and it doesn't it doesn't make the logical kind of sense that you know a mystery novel might normally well it makes Um, a lot of human sense exactly (laughs) human and logical sense not the same thing right but it definitely doesn't follow the you know whodunit kind of format that we've all come to expect yeah, and part of what I found interesting about it is that um, when you first, if you do like, uh, if you make four fascist decisions, so you get like the the offer to like opt into fascism. I think like the the whole tirade. Um, I don't know if it's your endurance. One one of your physique skills uh, offers it to you, uh, and it's basically just like hating on like women. It's just like a totally like misogynistic uh like ideas that it's throwing at you as like the beginning of like opting into fascism so i found it interesting that like with that in mind um they made this like 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 communist character um ultimately like just like a misogynist and i think there are a lot of clear parallels between him and renee uh which who is like um the fascist uh old like like loves like the royalty and like all like the mm-hmm. old like traditionalism who's playing like uh I forgot well, what he, the game is playing playing with mentions. the pool yeah yeah, yeah he I, mentions him too oh yeah. yeah so it's really interesting the way they uh they drew those two characters who are both clearly like the same age and like just opposite sides of the ideological spectrum but are both dealing with like 
these deep, deep, like, personal issues. Yeah, and you, you get the sense that, um, so, like, he, he talks a lot, the, the old man who you find, the uh, old sniper, he, he talks a lot about how, like, he's just spent all of this, his time, like, watching people through the scope of his rifle, and then also, like, reading the, um, like, political theory that he has, and so what you, I think, you know, what they're commenting on is this period of intense isolation mixed with his, like, post-traumatic stress disorder from the war and um like the collapse of the society he knew have combined for him to create this like extremely like this extreme ideology that's so far removed from the reality of of what existed in his time that it's become basically like unintelligible and and impossible to understand Mm -hmm. um and that in a way has it, it like basically made him reactionary <laughs> and he, right. he talks about how everyone else is a reactionary or a revisionist but in reality that's what he's become yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's like communism without the community too right like it's mm-hmm. he looks at everything through a scope he looks at everything right. as something that is other from him right which is a hallmark of fascism it is a, right yeah. it is an, a reactionary worldview yeah he, yeah and it's the consequences of of constant war and mm-hmm. isolation, yeah, yeah, which are the opposite of what you know communism's ideology is supposed to to bring. Right. Yeah, the isolation component of this whole sequence is kind of wild. I know we'll get into that more, but this is the man who's been on that island since since the war, right? Well, he does he does leave. Yeah, he he, he, he does leave, but yeah. he he doesn't. And I know it gets like I know he goes into the thing about like he was using the tunnels at first, so he was more isolated at first. But then people kind of started to forget, so it was easier. But still, he he didn't really interact. Yeah, I think by the time that he started to interact with other people, his he had already become so convinced of this like I'm a a, like a soldier in enemy territory that he doesn't really interact with anybody in a real human way and then by the time that you find him he's been like i think sick for so long that like he hadn't left the island in like a very long time is yep. the, the implication yeah. that sounds about right um i mean i think it's such a an interesting thematic bow um that even if you haven't done the cryptids quest which i did <laughs> um yeah. it would still be i think thematically powerful because in, in, in having done the the political vision quest it's sort of like that um, it's in a, lot, in, a lot, in a lot of ways it's commenting in the same way like it's this book club they talk about the ideas and they sit in this room um, and he like comes over there and like that there, there's some beauty to what those young people can do and what they believe in and he's lost all of that um, and it's the consequence of imperialism and all kinds of things um, but I think that it gets to that same idea of like again I said like I said communism without community and without really being in things like I think like Honestly, like Minyana is maybe like the most sympathetic character in this whole game <laughs> in some ways, um, because he's like there and, um, you know, actually like uh, interacting with people. But if you've done the cryptid quest, um, and I'm guessing all of us did. Yes. Um, the you actually uh, one of the cryptid that uh, the woman has been looking for um, comes out. Um, Insulin Fasnid. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is such a weird thing that like even though i saw like there was like an achievement related to it i was like it never occurred to me that it would be like this and um it has like this 
sort of weirdly distant kind way of interacting with you and sort of like talking about again like sort of like the way that humanity comes and goes and how like all these problems and all these things that we think are involved like sort of taking it from even a more macro view um than like all these other people who think they're the hero of their own stories like they like it's all all of this worry is not going to come to something at least the way i read it um and i thought it was um a really weird and somehow tonally and thematic and effectively effective way to end the narrative yeah one part of that interaction i I thought is like such a beautiful interaction and uh i know like one point um you get to like tell the phasmid like what you what you think about it um and i just like i immediately clicked the prompt that's just like you're the kindest creature i ever met because it really is and um it's just like such a positive interaction in a game filled with kind of like negativity and like collapse and like everybody just like trying to like get by but here's like this creature that's just kind of like separate from it all like like pretty much like like physically as well like uh it's it's, it's also like been isolated much like the uh the deserter um and so you finally have like this nice interaction with it and uh you kind of it kind of reveals more about the pale too how like the pale is entirely humanly constructed um which brings it back to, like to that like kind of potential uh, allegorical ways of like uh, connecting to like global warming and how like like the pale is like basically destroying the world and like everything in it and like kind of like the whole like collapse of history like as humans have constructed history to be like this linear uh, linear progression so yeah it was like a surprisingly like beautiful uh, and unexpected way to like thematically bring together a lot of elements of the game. Uh, this is a little bit of an aside, but I think it's a it's a good time to bring it up. Um, so I played through some of this game before, uh, and it it kind of inspired me to check out the cryptozoology museum in in Maine when oh, I was there, amazing. and that's without even knowing like the full story or the ending. And now that I know the ending, I'm like I'm even happier that I went. Yeah, I um it it it's again it's it's funny because it feels like this dumb side quest right mm-hmm. oh, oh yeah, um, yeah it feels like, it feels like you more pretty tangential. much like, yeah we talked about how all of these side quests are like feel tangential and unrelated to the main plot this one feels the most unrelated and then it becomes the it most becomes critical important. It's, yeah. it's incredible <laughs> i didn't even pursue it on my my first playthrough because i was playing like a, a straight cough who gets sober and like i'm just like you're right kim this is all pointless and uh yeah, yeah lo and behold <laughs> Yeah, again, like the way that we try to like organize information, and I like that like this idea because I, I think that it gives you an optimistic note, but it doesn't give you an immediately optimistic note. No, nope. like things are going to get better soon, but they can get better eventually. It's almost like this: you're doomed now, but don't worry, things sort of cycle. <laughs> right. Um, it's yeah. it's like the the saying in the church. What saying? I don't remember that one. Um, the like afterlife death. After death, life after again. Death life, after yeah. the world, the pale. After the pale, the world again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like cyclical nature of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want to say because we didn't talk about um, like coming back to uh, the mainland and like yes. having the interaction with mm-hmm. the uh, the the precinct members. That Jean is just one of my favorite characters. <laughs> like <laughs> just the way he talks and like uh, I won't say any of his like swears now, but the way he like just incorporates swears and is just like. This totally just um, 
yeah, just this frustrated, cynical, cynical human who used to be Harry's partner, and, and just the way that like comes out in his interactions with Harry is just hilarious. I, I love that guy, and uh, he brings like a lot of levity towards the end of the game too. Mm-hmm. I feel. I mean, and, even uh, like your interactions with him in the Whirling Rags, when you don't know it's him. When he's got the blonde wig on <laughs> yeah. and the sunglasses. Yeah. Hilarious yeah. in retrospect. Yeah. <laughs> and don't you learn in those interactions that like the blonde and the glasses, he, I think that was sort of meant to like impersonate the reporter that was part of Harry's task force, but then left because he thought it would be a laugh and Harry would recognize it, oh. but then he didn't. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I remember him definitely impersonating someone specific who Harry was supposed to yeah, know. Yeah, yep. But of course, Harry didn't know because, you know, <laughs> blackout drunk. Yep. But yeah, it's, I love how that uh, whole last sequence of the game is kind of just like, in a way, it's like kind of like the um, a more serious version of the, the court scene in Chrono Trigger, where like all of your actions uh, throughout the game are like kind of like taken into stock and like yeah. forced to kind of like reckon with them and respond to them. Kim finally weighs in. Yeah, like the Kim last episode in. of Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, but yeah, I wonder what would happen if uh, I imagine like everybody got Kim to like them ultimately, because even if you yeah. start the game uh, in a bad spot with Kim, like it's pretty hard to to keep shutting him down. Uh, rather than bringing him into and forming yeah. some kind of relationship with him, but yeah, he's so likable. Like, I, I even even as a person who was trying to annoy him, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I started the same way this playthrough, and eventually, yeah, he liked me. Um, so yeah, he he comes to bat for you, but I imagine um, if you didn't get it, uh, him to like you, then he'll be a, a bit more critical, and maybe you'll end up with one of the worst endings out of that. Because I think like there's, I'm not sure exactly what the different uh end states are but one is like going back to the precinct uh you can also like recruit kim to go back to the precinct with you um but i think like i think the only other one i know is like the worst ending where you um end up not coming back to the precinct at all and you end up living in that shack on the coast that you've been kind of staying at for free which is uh yeah much much darker i was just gonna say uh, i love this game (laughs) I think it's uh, one of the best. I think it's both one of the best games ever made, and also one of the a really strong piece of just fiction in general. Um, mm-hmm. I think it stands up with, um, you know, the best fiction in in any other you know genre or, or form of media. And um, I think it has a lot to say about, um, you know, the the kind of world that we live in now. Um, in a way that a lot of games are kind of afraid to comment on. Um, and uh, I think it's also probably the first game that I felt like really nails um, the idea of like choice and consequence and interactions with um, other characters in a way that's really satisfying um, and um, handles those like failure states in a way that are just as interesting as if they they weren't you know if, if we ask them um to me it's like it's like the ultimate version of a choose your own adventure novel <laughs> um and uh i think that's like the, just the, the the thing i come away from it from it does something that you couldn't do without it being a video game um and it really plays to the strengths of the medium in that way adding off of that it it's just an incredibly satisfying 
story and one that you are invested in and one that you create yourself. And I think, like we've sort of said, part of that is due to the fact that it is a game. It is a little bit more interactive. And it's just very impressive to me how you're able to use that to make the story that much more engrossing. And I think one of my main feelings coming away from it is I I want to go back. I want to play again and see what happens if I do things differently. I want to try doing one of those playthroughs where you just let every check stay the way it is and see what happens. Yeah, it's definitely uh, one of my favorite games as well. Um, just like, it, like for all the reasons you two already mentioned, but also in terms of just like kind of the the open-ended role-playing it affords. And even though like the, I know one critique about the game is that the ending is um, you're kind of pigeonholed into it and you're not, there's no way to actually um, fully discover the whodunit aspect of the game until the very end. But I think that actually works towards the, the fact that it's this game's really more about the journey that every player takes with it rather than um where that gets you at the end and ultimately like uh, all like these different kind of role playing opportunities you had whether you're going to be uh, an outrageous superstar cop that does a bunch of drugs or you're going to sober up and become kind of more of a straight edge cop all those options are there and um like yeah it's it's more about just like the the emotions that come about in the moment and, and We've all been talking about like the different moments in this game that impacted us most, and those are all like very much like our own. And uh, so, yeah, that's part of what makes this game so special. That's like definitely uh, in tune with this kind of more like tabletop RPG sensibilities. And um, yeah, I really mm -hmm. hope more games like it come out because uh, yeah, I loved it both times I've played it, and uh, both times felt felt very unique in their own ways too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that when we're talking about tabletop and we kind of, you know, think of Dungeons and Dragons um, first. I mean, I think that it, to me, like on top of all the things you're talking about, it is the way that it has um, a lore to it, um, a lore that is so rich and so specific that like it's overwhelming to me at times, but it it feels like it has a lore that is richer than like almost any fantasy novel I could, I could read. And that gets to the idea that you're talking about, Ben, like it is um, as a piece of fiction. I think that it is maybe unparalleled in the video game sphere. Um, there are games that I probably like a little bit more than it because, you know, it has some more gameplay to it and it does some more meta narrative things that maybe I find even more interesting, but I can't think of a game that matches the level of um, thought and like it, there are just so many ways in and out of this game and there are so many ways to approach it and think about it and there are so many things about it that like there's like over a million words of text apparently in total in this game and that is ludicrous um it's it's insane um how much there is to this game um and how many different ways there are to interact with it and how it feels like a complete experience regardless of the way that you experience it um, and people might complain that you get pigeonholed into it, but you, I think technically you can clear this game like by day five in like 20 hours. Like you don't have to like literally walk around and do every single thing, but I wanted to. Um, it wasn't like I wasn't doing it for a reward, although it made passing late checks easier. I was doing it because it was so good. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's funny. There was an episode of Retro Encounter a while ago uh, where we like decided on like another essential 10. And I remember kind of arguing with someone for Lunar, which is a game that I probably hold dear to my heart. But this game in the role playing sphere is essential. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. It is unique and specific and nothing else 
since or before. I haven't played Citizen Sleeper, which I've heard is really good. But nothing that I have touched touches what this game is doing um, and does it with... And it's not just that it's like unique in the sphere. It's that it's unique and it's so good. <laughs> um, it's doing something a little bit different from anything I've ever played, but it also does it remarkably well. Um, I, I think it's it, it's an unbelievable game. Honestly, I cannot believe that people made this video game. <laughs> Which, I do want to get to one last topic before we leave. I know we're running a little long here, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. But I do feel like I, I would feel bad if we walked away without talking about one very brief thing. Um, even though it's not brief, uh, it's been going on for a long time now, which is there's a lot of legal battles surrounding this game, which I think uh, outside of like the the human cost that obviously is being exacted and the human struggles that are happening in real life, not these fictional ones that we're talking about, um, I think gets to in some ways uh, the ways in which people talk about this and have like these really strong opinions on both sides of this argument or of this of this clash between the creators of this game or at least the main creators and the company um, that they were part of but also helped create so it makes it all really um, fascinating and strange Um, i I think are kind of important to touch on very briefly there's a there's a four-hour documentary that was made about it i have not watched it i meant to but school just started for me and i've been uh, busy (laughs) Uh, but i will watch it at some point so i know that ben and alex and you two have watched it um what are your general thoughts on what you know sort of about the legal conflicts surrounding this game yeah, so I can give like a brief um, overview. Basically, there's um, a kind of the legal battle is principally between um, the people who now own um, the company that developed Disco Elysium and the principal creative leads um, behind the uh, game. So that would be um, primarily Robert Kurvitz, who was the lead designer and the uh, lead writer on um, the game, and then also uh, Alexander uh, Rostov, who was the um, art director, and then also um, Helen uh, Hinper, who is, um, was also a writer on the game and is the uh, romantic partner of Robert Kurvitz. Um, and then there are also other developers that um, were involved with the game and then are no longer with the company that were um, let go at the same time that those three were let go, but they are not pursuing legal action against the current owners. Um, so um, essentially, um, there's accusations um, that um, the, the owners of the company now, who were the principal funders behind the game, um, wrested control of the company from them, and that's why they're currently engaged in a legal battle to try to either uh, regain ownership or some kind of compensation for uh, what they feel was stolen from them, um, etc. So, yeah. So, so that documentary goes into uh, it's by People Make Games, and they do quite a few interviews with the different parties involved, including the producers, uh, primarily Ilmar Compass, who was not creatively involved with Disco Elysium at all, basically merely like a money man. Um, and then it also goes into interviews with um, the different writers that were involved on the team and experienced some kind of toxic behaviors from Curvis uh, specifically as a leader. Uh, they have like a lot of grievances with him, how um, he wasn't a great leader, uh, didn't communicate things well, and... Uh, 
yeah, basically just just not like a, a sustainable working environment. It sounds like according to their accounts, and um, one of them was like also one of his best friends uh, who seemed particularly uh, despondent about the issue. Uh, and then they interviewed uh, Kurvitz and Rostov and and Hinpier, and um, uh, like kind of the the documentary really kind of um, pushes them on like the tox toxicity side of things, which is I think on one hand very fair. Uh, it sounds like all like the kind of problems that uh, Kurvitz uh, mostly was bringing into the the working environment um, was, as I mentioned, like not sustainable. Like it, it just like couldn't have gone on um, on that level. Uh, it's also probably uh, evident that uh, he was also crunching a lot and facing a lot of pressures from the producers themselves. And as the lead creative, um, yeah, just just felt very passionate about the project but maybe wasn't uh expressing that in the best ways i just think um one of the important takeaways is here is that um even though like all of the problems against curve sound valid but ultimately um he's yeah essentially being uh along with rossov and him here being kicked out by the investors and uh, taking who basically took the the world that he built away from him um, and there's a lot of shady stuff behind that, which um, is not right. And um, ultimately, whatever Kurvitz did, uh, his situation is, is not justified. So um, that's at least my takeaway from the documentary. Um, really worth uh, a watch if, if anybody's interested, though. Yeah, I would recommend people watch it, too, um, just because it, it's like the only extended interviews that exist with members of the creative team that weren't the leads. Um, and so it's very valuable to get their experience. They also cover some of the background of the um, financial transactions and shady financial dealings of the um, the funders of the project. Um, and um, one thing to note is that um, uh, Elmar Compass, his uh, business partner, had been previously convicted of financial crimes, and um, then fled Estonia, and then was working as an executive producer on Disco Elysium, and uh, making being paid by um, by uh, Ilmar Kompas. So <laughs> um, it, it's a very like tangled, um, complicated kind of story, but um, it, it's uh, you know I think um, it's not as simple as just like the workers versus capital. But there definitely is that element to it. And uh, um, even the developers that uh, remain at the company, still most of them say that Kurvitz and Rostov and the others should be able to work within the intellectual property of Disco Elysium. Um, and currently they're unable to do that because of the, the legal situation. So. Yeah, I mean, I even as a person who knows a fair amount about um the subject you know i haven't watched the documentary like even as you guys are describing it um it, it it's difficult like the the tangled mess of it is in a way that and and i hate i hate to use fiction to compare it to this but like i feel like when we talk about things like this it is so rare to encounter pieces of fiction that i actually think address similar sorts of issues in the full complexity of it um in the way that this game does and like it the fact that this story came out and this issue came out for this game specifically has confounded me even before i played it you know what i mean yeah yep um, yeah it, agreed it's 
it's very interesting because as much as the developers are um very left wing um the game was not really created in those um circumstances um because they were reliant on the finance capital to create and fund their the game right um, games are expensive yeah mhm and they had a team of about i think by the end of the release of the original game not final cut um about 30 members on the team um and that required them to get funding um through more traditional business means to see the project through to the end and uh this is kind of the result of that so yeah 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 i mean we could make a whole podcast in the way that reality meets fiction with this one right uh, people have made a four-hour documentary about it um so i don't want to spend too much time on it but i do think it's important to talk about um just the ways in which uh fiction and reality are meeting and in, in tragic ways honestly regardless of anything else like um regardless of what whatever Kurvitz did or didn't do or how toxic or not toxic he was the idea of uh creation being taken away from the creator in that kind of way um is very troubling to me um so yeah um and, and in the ways in which they have to rely on capitalism to make a leftist piece of media uh, it's it's all and then they have the consequences of that um, but yeah, um, that's Disco Elysium, y'all. Um, there, we, we could make a whole other episode talk about all the quests we didn't. There are so many details I didn't talk about that I loved in this game. Um, there, it's it, it's just such a big game. It, it, it takes place in this really small little area. Um, but it touches on so many different things. And so thank you, all, all three of you, for coming on for this longer than I intended podcast. Thank you. my style, apparently. Um, <laughs> And, um, I mean, there's a lot to cover, like you said. Talking to me about this game, I, I yeah. really enjoyed our conversation. You could talk so, about this game for like 12 hours, so yeah, I... for sure, <laughs> I would happily do so. Yep. <laughs> so, um, well, let's talk about what's coming up next, um, which are things that are maybe a little less heady than uh, <laughs> than Retro and Getter. Uh, so, as I think I noted on the uh, last episode, uh, this is my last uh, episode, sort of as the uh, caretaker of Retro Encounter. Doesn't mean I won't host again or that I won't be on episodes. In fact, I think I'll be on another episode very soon here. But um, thank you. Of course. Um, and uh, Slosi will be back. Um, I think he'll be back. The uh, I think it'll be next week. But if not, it'll be the week after. Um, he just got back from a long trip, and so I didn't press him too much on the exact date of return. Um, let him uh, readjust back from Japan. But um, I can tell you what's coming up next in general. So I know that the next episode is an episode on edutainment uh, games. I know that things like Oregon Trail will probably come up. I've looked at a little bit of the conversation about what they're going to talk about, um, but. Uh, I think that'll at least be an interesting listen, even if you even if you didn't like those games. I'll probably talk about how terrible those games are, which I really look forward to. Carmen San Diego. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and I know, and I know. Uh, shortly as well, there's going to be a, a spoiler cast episode on Final Fantasy 16, uh, which I am at least currently on the episode, but other people want to get on. I've I I have enough words out there about 16 at this point, so we'll see. Uh, but I know the next game journal after this will be over uh, a very different kind of cult hit, which is Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter. Yes, that will be our game journal for September. Um, I'm looking forward to listening to those episodes, maybe more than I'm looking forward to playing the game. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be playing it, but um, yeah. So I, that's what's coming up. Uh, we have some other things planned out, but I will let Solosi share those with you when he returns. Uh, so um, in terms of getting in touch with us, if you want to email us, uh, you can email us uh, retro at rpgfan.com. Slosi checks that with some regularity. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. 
uh, on our Discord. Uh, we can go follow us on YouTube. We have a Twitch stream almost every day. Scott does amazing work. Uh, we are all over the internet. And again, we're on like, uh, I don't know, like every social media platform and every inevitable Twitter replacement we have. Uh, we also have a shop if you want to rep uh, some merchandise from RPG Fan. Uh, there's a lot of it there. Uh, Mike has done a great job with designing a lot of the stuff there, and I really like uh, a lot of the stuff that we have for the 25th anniversary in particular. Uh, we also have two other fine podcasts, uh, Random Encounter, every two weeks about randomness, mostly current events, mostly current games or things that are happening on the site, uh, usually hosted by Jono, and then Rhythm Encounter, which is about RPG music, um, another RPG-related music, uh, usually hosted by Mike Salvato, but also uh, often hosted by Hillary. Um, you can review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Um, we like uh, feedback, especially of the five-star variety. Um, <laughs> and uh, before we leave, I'd like to let everybody know how to get in touch with us individually, starting with you, Alex. Yeah, you can just uh, email me at uh, tequilasunset at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wish. It's just Alex Franicek. But, you know. oh, I, I guarantee that is already taken. It has been taken <laughs> since 2019, but man, it's a great idea. <laughs> and ben how about you yeah um you can uh find me at, at ben logan love at gmail.com and finally hillary uh so i am lieutenant double Yefrater firewalker <laughs> <laughs> at gmail.com <laughs> um, uh, actually just hillary at rpgben.com and uh, I have nothing clever to say. So I will instead say you can get in touch with me via email, ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can find me on our Discord at ZachW. If you ping me on there, I will see it relatively quickly. And uh, yeah, that's it. Um, we covered a lot of ground. There are many miles to go uh, to cover the rest of this game. Um, needless to say, if you're listening to this, first of all, why? And I haven't played it. Why haven't you played it? Uh, go play it. Go check it out. Um, but it's better experienced. Exactly. Seriously, for real. Yeah. Yes. But uh, I'd love to hear, uh, seriously, I usually don't close out with this, but um, after we get posted, like um, what your experiences were, how they differed from ours, um, let us know um, in any of our social medias. That would be awesome to hear uh, ways in which your experience was totally different from ours. Um, because I was remarkably unspoiled on this game, and I, I was very excited for that. And I learned a lot of things about what I could experience here. I'd like to hear more. So anyway, thank you, listeners. Good night, and good luck. Bye.